If you're new, I'm Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my honor and privilege uh, to be back with you this morning. If you uh, have a Bible, please go ahead and point your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1. We will be picking up where we left off last week, Lord willing. Chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in front of you, in the pew in front of you. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, which is one of the black ones. And uh, if you're not super familiar with where Luke is found in the Bible, you'll find it on page 855 of the back, black Bibles. And if you're new to the Bible, um, the verse numbers are the little numbers. And so we'll be picking up reading in verse 26 under the, the heading, Birth of Jesus Foretold. So here's what we do. I'll read from verse 26 all the way down to verse 38. I'll uh, pray again, ask for the Lord's help on our time together, and then we'll work our way through this passage together. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. This is the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? since I am a virgin. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, I don't have what your people need this morning. Mine are not the words of eternal life. And so I ask, for the sake of the glory of your Son, and for, for the sake of the spiritual good of your people, that you would send your Holy Spirit to us here today, that you would move through your word upon the hearts of everyone gathered here, and that we would see with enlightened eyes the magnificent glories of the man who is called Jesus. 
Amen. The Bible is one book which tells one story about one man, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. The same way that every river and stream eventually leads to the ocean, the undercurrent of every text of Scripture eventually leads to the glories of God in Jesus Christ. God made man in his own image, giving them dignity and value and worth. The first man and the first woman were led by the serpent in the garden to question God's word. And they rebelled against him. And their rebellion, called sin, brought a curse upon upon mankind. Death entered the world such that all are sinners. All mankind are sinners by nature and by choice. You see, all of us have followed the examples of our first parents, questioned God's word, and rebelled against him. But yet, even in the midst of the curse that God issued against our first parents and the serpent, God hides a message of redemption. The Lord tells the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. From this point on in the Bible, a search is unleashed. Who will be this offspring to the woman who will crush the head of the serpent? and save his people from their sin. In the Bible, many candidates are put forth, and none of them found worthy. The Lord begins in the pages that follow to reveal more about this offspring that he had promised. The prophet Nathaniel, the prophet Nathan revealed that he will be of the lineage of Dan, of David, and he will sit on an everlasting throne. The Lord reveals to Isaiah that the offspring's birth would be a miracle birth. And prophet after prophet, passage after passage, they're all pointing forward to the coming of this offspring to crush the serpent's head. The whole Bible is about this man, this savior, this offspring. And in the passage before us, the impossible knot, the curse of sin and death, begins to unravel, begins to loosen through God's grace given to an insignificant teenage girl from a nowhere town who humbly submitted herself to God's will. It's fitting, don't you think? That through the rebellion of a woman, sin came into the world. And in God's glorious plan of redemption, he has willed that it would be through a woman that a savior would come into the world. Eve rejected God's word and death resulted. Mary accepted God's word and life resulted. Eve's firstborn son was a murderer who killed the life of his brother. 
Mary's firstborn son was murdered in order to save the life of his brothers. Here's the big idea this morning. That in the light of who and what Jesus Christ is, submit yourself to the Lord as his servant. In light of who Jesus is and what he will do, submit yourself to the Lord as his servant. And you can see on the backside of your bulletin that we'll outline this passage in four ways. First, we'll look at Gabriel's heavenly mission in verses 26 to 30. Second, we'll consider Gabriel's happy announcement to Mary in verses 31 to 33. We'll look third at Mary's humble question in verse 34 to 37. And then finally, we'll consider Mary's humble submission in verse 38. So let's have a look again at verses 26 to 30, Gabriel's heavenly mission. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. If you were with us last week, it has been six months since God sent the angel to, to Zechariah and announced the, the coming birth of their child. And now the angel is back. Gabriel appears a second time with a second message. But this time, instead of going to a priest in the holy place, the angel is sent to a virgin teenager in the middle of nowhere who happens to be planning a wedding. Gabriel comes to the region of Galilee, not to the region of Judea. Judea contains Jerusalem, which would have been the cultural and religious center of the nation of Israel. But that's not Galilee. Galilee is nothing. Galilee is sometimes called the Galilee of the Gentiles because there were so many non-Jews living among God's people in Galilee. Religious people looked down on Galilee and looked down on Galileans. So if Jerusalem and Judea were like our New York City, then Galilee and Nazareth would be like our Shelby County. No one goes there for anything. Nazareth isn't even mentioned in the Old Testament. Luke has to identify it as in Galilee, probably because his original readers would not have known where Nazareth was. It was a small town, probably 500 people or less in those days. In fact, you remember the straight shooter disciple, Nathaniel, when he heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, he said, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Luke tells us that Gabriel was sent by God to a virgin, betrothed to a man with the name of Joseph, 
who happens to be of the lineage of King David. In the first century, betrothal was a, a little bit different than our Western engagement process. So customarily, two families would get together when their children were very young and they would agree upon a marriage. And once their children were of age, they would be betrothed. A bride price would be paid by the groom to the bride's family. And over the course of the next year or so, the couple would remain separate. The groom and the groom's father would spend a year preparing a home for this new couple. The bride would spend her year preparing herself for marriage. And during this time, they were legally bound to one another. In fact, to end a betrothal would have been considered divorce. When the time came, the bride was then taken by her family to the new home built for her by her husband, where they would celebrate with a giant feast. The groom would then take his bride into his new home and they would consummate the marriage. This is what young Mary is preparing for. She's probably been thinking about this since she was a little girl. Imagining herself as the carpenter's wife with a home of her own, with children of her own. Practicing her recipes that have been handed down to her by her mother and by her grandmother. Imagining herself packing meals into Joseph's lunchbox as he's off his, on his way to work. And it is during this year of betrothal that the angel Gabriel appears. It says in verse 28, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. This is an amazing greeting. Mary would have been in her mid-teens certainly too young to have accomplished much of anything. It's likely that Mary was illiterate. And her only knowledge of God's word and of God himself would have come from the time she spent in synagogue and from learning from her parents. What did it mean that Mary is favored? The word favored is a word that means to bestow on someone great honor. It means highly favored. That word is only used one other place in the entire New Testament. The Apostle Paul uses that word in Ephesians chapter 1 when he's giving praise to God for his glorious grace to his people by which he has blessed us, highly favored us in Christ. And the angel is telling Mary that God for his own purpose, has shown great favor to you. And so one must ask, what did Mary do to earn this great favor from Almighty God? And of course the answer is nothing. It's grace. By the very nature of grace, it is unearned. Mary is, like all of us, an unworthy recipient of God's grace. A recipient of God's grace. She is not 
like our dear Catholic friends maintain, a dispensary of God's grace. Nor was she sinless. Friends, Mary benefited no less from Jesus' death and resurrection than any of us. And Catholic and Orthodox teaching on Mary has, I'm afraid, led many Protestants toward some apprehension towards recognizing God's grace toward Mary. This is a remarkable young lady. There's much that we can learn from her, much that we can imitate in her. We can honor what the Lord has done through this young lady without venerating her. But the question remains, why has the Lord bestowed such honor on Mary? Why did he choose her? Well, why does he choose anyone? Why did he choose you? Why did he choose me? What did we do to deserve God's grace? Jonathan Edwards said the only thing that we have contributed to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. God gives grace for his own purpose, for his own glory. And I hope you see this is wonderful news. Because this means that anyone can get in on this. God's grace is free. It cannot be earned. So no matter how far away from God someone is, they're never too far away from God. If you're not a Christian, this is the best news you could possibly hear. I'll talk a little bit more about that later in the message. So hang with me. We'll come back to that point at the end. You see, God might have sent Gabriel to the daughter of Caiaphas, the high priest. She would have certainly had been groomed in the ways of God her whole life. He might have sent Gabriel to the daughter of King Herod the Great or one of the Caesars. But it is always God's way to go to the insignificant, to the weak, and to the needy. It is God's way to go to those who realize that they can't make it without him. God is attracted to weakness. The moment this church becomes a community of people who have it all together, who need nothing, who depend on no one, who cannot be corrected, who cannot be called to repentance, who cannot be expected to change, is the moment that this church offers nothing to this city. And she must close her doors. And truth be told, Christmas is for the needy. It is for the weak. Christmas offers nothing to the proud and self-sufficient. Well, in verse 29, Mary is greatly troubled at this saying. And Luke adds, 
She tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She's wondering, what, what does it mean that I'm highly favored? What does it mean that God is with me? What do I even do with that? And here we're let in on something significant about this young lady. She's a thinker. We'll see this again at the end of chapter 2. Mary ponders things in her heart. And so young ladies, you ought to follow the example of your sister in this regard. Don't let anyone tell you that you cannot or should not be a deep-thinking, hard-hitting student of the Bible. Think hard over God's Word. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Memorize your Bible. Mind the Scriptures for the glories of Christ and share them with someone else. After all, in Titus chapter 2, didn't Paul tell the older women to teach the younger women? I don't take the Apostle Paul to mean that the older women should teach the younger women to bake brownies. We need brownies. Teach them that too. But Paul means to teach them the ways of the Lord. Sisters, don't neglect your teaching ministry. Teach another person how to read the Bible, how to understand the Bible, and how to adorn the gospel with the application of the Bible. As a pastor, I'm thankful for those women who are investing their lives in other women, teaching them to love their husbands and love their children and love their church. May the Lord in His grace fill this church with Bible-saturated women theologians who, like Priscilla in Acts 18, are able to instruct others accurately in the way. As Mary is pondering these words in her heart, the angel says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And so we see again, as we did last week, God knows her name. And again, the angel is there to assure her that God has grace for her. But I doubt very much that she expected anything of what she's about to hear next. Let's look at verse 31 and 33 again. The angel continues, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. The virgin will conceive a son. Gabriel tells Mary what the name of the child is to be. It was typical in those days for a father to name the child. And this is no different. This is the Son of the Most High, and so it's only fitting that the Most High will choose His name. And the Most High has chosen for His Son the name 
Jesus. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua. It's a combination of two words in the Hebrew language. It would have been a common name in those days. Yah, short for Yahweh. And the Hebrew word Yasha, which means rescue or deliver. So the name Jesus means the Lord saves, Yahweh saves. Which is why in the Gospel of Matthew, when the angel announces his name to Joseph, the angel says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verses 32 and 33 give us five elements of Jesus' ministry. First, we're told that he will surpass John the baptizer, who, if you remember from last week, was was said that he would be great before the Lord. But the greatness of Jesus is unqualified. He will be great which is a label that Scripture only ever uses of God himself. Second, he would be called the Son of the Most High. Most High is a title of God. Jesus will be the Son of God. The second person in the Godhead, truly God, infinite and eternal, the uncreated creator, the one for whom and by whom all things that have been made were made. Third, the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. Jesus is the son of God, and Jesus is the son of David. The angel tells Mary, sweetheart, your son will be the one that was prophesied about in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He will sit on the throne of his father, David. Mary, you are the virgin Isaiah wrote about who would conceive a son whose name would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Mary, you are the woman who will give birth to the offspring, the one who will crush the head of the serpent. And and the angel goes on forth, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Mary, the man Daniel saw in his vision to whom was given dominion and glory and a kingdom forever. Mary, that's Jesus. Mary, remember the Lord promised through Isaiah that of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Mary, that's Jesus. Abraham saw him. Moses wrote of him. David sang of him. The prophets caught glimpses of him. Every person among God's people has been looking forward to him. And dear Mary, you will give birth to him. So the next time this Christmas you hear that song, Mary, did you know? You can say, yes, yes, she knew. She knew. The angel told her. Of course she knew. The undercurrent of every stream in Scripture is gathering into a mighty river of God's grace in the person to be born from Mary's womb, the Son of God. And how can this be? How can a child be born to a virgin? And it's a great question. It's Mary's question. And so let's keep reading verse 34. Mary's humble question. 
And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary's question to Gabriel was quite different than Zechariah's question to Gabriel from last week. Her question is not a question of doubt but of humility. She's already accepted what God has said. And she's now asking, how's that going to work? I'm a virgin. The Greek word she uses there is uh, literally means, I have not known a man. Now, Mary may have been illiterate, but she knew that in order to have a baby, you need a boy and you need a girl and you need sex. And she's missing two out of those three things. And so the angel says, well, Mary, this baby is going to be made with different ingredients. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The conception of Jesus in Mary's womb is accomplished by the creative power of God, the Holy Spirit. It's, it's wonderful, this. The whole Godhead is involved. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, sending the Redeemer, the offspring, the God, the Son. And don't miss Gabriel's use of the word overshadow. It's an important word. It's one he borrowed from the Old Testament. When the tabernacle in the wilderness was completed and dedicated to the Lord, the Bible says that the glory of the Lord, which dwelt as a cloud, overshadowed the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled it. It seems like Luke wants us to make this connection, that in a similar way, God infused the tabernacle with his glory and presence to dwell among his people, He is now filling the womb of Mary with the same glory and presence as God would dwell among his people in the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. The Bible teaches that whatever is true of Jesus is true of God. To know Jesus is to know God. And to reject Jesus is also to reject God. Jesus told his disciple, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. The exact imprint of his nature. Friend, if there's anything you've ever wondered about the character and nature of Almighty God, you need go no further 
than Jesus Christ, God the Son. The Bible does not teach that we worship a man who became God. The Bible teaches that we worship God who became man. God becoming man is called the incarnation, which means to put on flesh. Augustine taught that God did not lose anything in the incarnation, but rather added humanity to his divinity. Last Sunday, we heard the Nicene Creed in our service. Creeds are helpful collections of the most important biblical doctrines, and they kind of summarize the big teaching of Scripture to remind us, to protect the church from error. And the Nicene Creed says this of the Son of God, that he was begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of the same essence as the Father. And so you see our friends, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, those in the apostolic church, those of oneness Pentecostal churches, they have rejected the important doctrine of Jesus being truly God and truly man. And they have fallen into heresy. So when they come to your door, invite them in and share with them the glorious doctrine of the incarnation and share with them the truth and the hope of God become man, co-eternal with God. There's a, a sweet Christmas legend from the 4th century where a fellow named Nicholas, as in Saint Nicholas, supposedly punched another guy in the face named Arius for preaching that Jesus is not co-eternal or equal with God. That's St. Nicholas that became Santa Claus. I don't know if the man had rosy cheeks and a white beard, but he was a good theologian, if maybe a bit, bit violent. Gabriel tells Mary about Elizabeth, her relative, who's pregnant with a miracle baby of her own, and that she's already in her sixth month of pregnancy, and that nothing is impossible with God. And so we keep reading. This is our last point. Mary's humble submission in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary's response to Gabriel's announcement is one of the greatest definitions of faith in the Bible. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Humble submission at a very high cost. At a very high cost. Remember, Mary is a teenager. She's planning her wedding. And no doubt this young lady had plenty of ideas what her life would be like with Joseph. Perhaps even Joseph and her used to take walks around Nazareth and talk about and pray about their future. How many kids they wanted to have, where they would spend Thanksgiving dinner. But all of that gets put, on, gets put on hold. But not just on hold. She's going to have to tell her parents. She's going to have to tell Joseph. That's a hard sell. 
I'm pregnant. But it's not what you think. I mean, when people tell me things, I'm generally going to believe them. But if someone came into my office as a teenager and said, I'm pregnant, pastor, with the baby from the Holy Spirit, <laughs> are you though? I mean, now there's a small town. Eventually, Mary's going to start showing. Even if they push the wedding date up forward, people are going to do the math. And we know that they did the math because later in Jesus' life, he's accused of being the son of fornication. They did the math. But Mary is willing to accept the shame that was going to come from this miracle birth. She's willing to accept the shame of the misunderstanding of people not believing her. Maybe her own parents not believing her. She's going to believe God's word from the angel. She's going to believe all that her son would be and do. And she says, let it be to me according to your word. Cornerstone, Pickle Baptist Church, this is your word this morning. In light of who Jesus is, in light of what Jesus has done, will you answer? With your sister Mary, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be according to his word. Is Jesus worth this? Is he worth your life? Is he so precious to you that you would be willing to suffer shame and misunderstanding and the rejection that would come from carrying Christ into your workplace, into your school? into your family gatherings this Christmas? You see, Christian, by your sin, you were headed for a life of ruin. You were to be separated from God and under God's wrath. But God set his love on you, sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sin. And he gave you great favor a new life with a new purpose, with freedom and joy and a future beyond your wildest dreams. God made you, dear sinner, his son, his daughter, his own, his servant. So what does it mean that you are a servant of the Lord? Well, it must mean, at the very least, that you're not your own. That your life is not your own life. That you don't ultimately determine where to allocate your time and your money and your talents. It must mean that you submit these things to Him, to God's plan to God's purposes. It must mean that you spend more of your life building a name for Christ than a name for yourself. And Christian, you need to know that God's plan for your life is far greater than anything you could have come up with on your own, filled with far more joy. 
For Mary, humble submission meant being a vessel through which God's plan would be accomplished. And for your life, it means exactly the same. It could look like many things. It may mean starting a Bible study in a retirement community. It could mean taking a job overseas so that you can serve the church among the unreached. It could mean leveraging your business to see the gospel advance locally and globally. It could mean enduring an illness with great faith that God would use to show that he's more precious than health. It could mean going to a seminary to become a church planter in hard-to-reach places. It could mean taking that friend of yours out to lunch and sharing the gospel. If you're not a Christian, there's something you need to know too. Actually, it's the same thing. That God's plan for your life is far better than you could have come up with on your own. That self-actualization is a sham. You didn't make yourself. How do you know whether or not you know whether you will work best in the way that you think you will? So my unbelieving friend, I encourage you to turn from your sin today. Trust in Jesus Christ and believe. You have not lived up to God's standard in your life, but the good news is that Jesus has for you, for your sake. He lived the life you haven't lived. He died the death you deserve to die so that you can be joined to him and made right with God. God is giving you a choice today. When you trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you will be added to the family of God. And you will be given a new life with a far greater purpose than you could have ever imagined. Repent and believe today. And then tell someone after the service. I'll be standing out there. I'd love to hear about you trusting in Jesus Christ for the first time. God is calling all of us to trust him with our lives. He has come to us today in the same way he came to Mary. Not through the agency of Gabriel, but through the agency of his word. And he's calling all of us to answer him in the same way Mary answered him. Let it be to me according to your word. Let's pray. God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you today with the deepest reverence. After all, we are your servants. And you have been beyond kind to us today, revealing to us our need for you and our stubbornness to trust you. Lord, we're much more like Eve, questioning your word, than we are like Mary and accepting your word. And yet, Father, you have reminded us today of your love towards sinners like us. We see the love of Jesus coming to us to crush the head of ser the serpent and to save us. And so, Lord, we thank you that we are among that number. Will you mold us and shape us and make us into the likeness of your Son, who pleases you in all that he does? Will you stir up in us holy love and delight 
And may every one of your children here find new joys in believing your word and following your path this week. Father, I pray that these, your people, will be renewed in their love of Jesus. Would you enable my friends here to see the preciousness of Jesus and by your grace trust you in ways they never have before. And through these two churches in this one place, would you cause the glorious excellencies of Christ to resound in this city. For Jesus' sake we ask. Amen. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you have an assurance of pardon from Matthew chapter 1. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins.